Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast with your host, Tom Singer. In each episode, we will explore the interesting stories of business executives, entrepreneurs, and industry leaders who are shaking things up and growing their companies. It is time to make some waves. Now here's your host, Tom Singer. This is Making Waves at Sea Level, the podcast for those who shake things up in business and are focused on growth and success. This episode is produced in partnership with the Austin Technology Council. The ATC is a 30-year-old association that is focused on promoting and facilitating the growth of technology companies in Central Texas. Over the past three decades, the business ecosystem of Austin has changed, and the ATC is actively changing too. Learn more at austintechnologycouncil.org. My name is Tom Singer, and I have hosted this podcast for eight years and over 735 episodes, and I am also the new CEO at the Austin Technology Council. While this podcast is not always focused on things about Central Texas, I am currently interviewing leaders from across the Austin Tech ecosystem about how they help companies grow, what their company does, and the future of Austin. And today, I am happy to welcome to the show Kathleen Lucente from Red Fan Communications. Hey, Kathleen, welcome to Making Waves at Sea Level. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm really glad to have you here. We're going to have some fun talking about the things that you do, how companies can get PR, and what's going on for tech companies in Austin. But for those of you who don't know Kathleen, she is the C-suite whisperer to high-tech B2B companies, both new companies and established companies. And she and her team really kick butt and help them with internal and external communications, investor relations, and crisis communications. Basically, everything when it comes to making sure that your messaging is being heard correctly and making an impact. So today we're going to talk about how do you connect with your constituencies and understanding that messaging. So Kathleen, give me a little bit of a background about Red Fan Communications and and what you all do. Absolutely. Red Fan Communications is about 15 years old. We're actually turning 15 this January. We're a group of professionals who have done everything from investor relations to media relations and beyond. But we really sit down and start with companies right at the very beginning with messaging. Our, our goal is to help them understand and get the lay of the land on how people are reacting to the brand and how we can help establish more connections, both internal communications and external communications. That starts with deep dive and competitive analysis, messaging, interviews, and some focus groups. And that is your insurance policy for making sure things go real, real well when you start hitting the ground and reaching out to reporters and to employees. So it's interesting because you talk about internal messaging and the external communications, because so often when we think of PR, we think about what are we saying to the press? How are we putting things out there to our customers and our vendors, et cetera? But you spend a lot of time really thinking about how that internal communication really makes a difference for the company. Why is that so important? 
I think internal communications has always been important, but it probably has increased quite a bit in the last few years for companies. Um, I think that what's happened is that internal communications is often sort of floating around. It's not owned by any one person. The accountability is lost. And therefore, when you start having employees working remotely and, uh, you know, you've got a new setup, suddenly what you had before is falling apart and loyalty to the company is not as strong. The connection to the mission and, and what your impact as an employee can be is lost. And so we're really working with our, our CEOs and CMOs to help them understand it's time to do an audit. It's time to really look at what is working, what's not. So you can spend money on things that really matter and that will connect with your employees. Internal communications was where you start and test things out. Employees should not be learning about your company only through external media relations. That's sort of the big joke that we have. Often companies are moving too fast and employees are saying, hey, I just learned something about our company in the press. Well, that means you're probably failing in internal communications. So when it comes to PR, I mean, a lot of tech companies, that's a really important part of what they're doing, especially when they're in that fast growth mode. So when a company comes to Redfan Communications, when they show up at the door and say, we're ready to talk to the press, we want to put our message out there. Where do you even start? We start by asking them why. Why do you need press now? And what kind of press have you done so far? What kind of engagement have you had with reporters in the past? Um, So we want to get a litmus test on that. That's really important. And then we start by helping them understand that we're, we, once we start driving traffic to their website, their sales team, we want to talk to their sales team and find out what's working for the sales team. What's not, where are they having hiccups with customers where the messaging they're using isn't working. And because everything we put out is going to actually help the sales team, it should be helping to build that brand reputation. And so this homework that we do in the very beginning, this messaging work and um, making sure that when we, that messaging is working on the website in the press content and everywhere it's going to be social media, we want that echo chamber to really work. And that is why some of that work is going to take some time. Um, But we, we hit the ground running. And as I said before, when you do that homework up front that becomes an insurance policy because if you start just throwing darts, you get one shot at that. And those reporters are not going to take your call the next time. So we want that to be a very sharp, just hit it right, right off the bat. So what mistakes do companies make before they come to a PR firm? Because a lot of times when a company is a startup, they, they can't afford PR. It's not inexpensive to do it right. So what are the mistakes that companies make along the way during that growth phase? Some of the biggest mistakes we see um, startups make is that they call up and ask friends to uh, do favors. And um, that can be lovely. You've got probably a very talented pool of friends. But reality is that if you don't get the messaging right and figure out all of that, you are starting maybe with a brand and a logo and a website that is absolutely off mark. Um, You haven't done the homework. You don't really understand and that, that it becomes very difficult because a lot of times then those companies show up at our door or any other PR firm's door. And we look at that website and we go, this, this is not going to work. We're driving all this traffic to something that people are going to bounce off of. Um, maybe they've tried to put all the words in the world that they think they are on the website, hoping that something will stick. And it's much better to take the time and do the work. So I've done a lot of work in helping people understand that brand positioning and messaging must come first before you start reaching out in that capacity. Um, Number one thing to do, smart to do, 
even if you're a startup, you're probably better off hiring a very strong writer internally to be your point person in marketing and hiring an external agency to help you uh, get this foundational work done. Um, and then take a pause and start doing some work and then, and then start looking at when you need to do the media relations. So what are some things that you've seen companies do well on their own before they come to PR? I mean, we often talk about the mistakes people make, but what are some of the things that you've said, oh, these companies do that well? I have so many great companies that come to us, mostly because what they've done is they've done a lot of things really, really well, meaning they've hired the right people early on. They've made sure that their product is something that, uh, or their service is something that customers really want. They're uh, making sure that they've got a strong employee uh, communication platform that can scale. And by the time they come to us, their problem is not that they don't have customers. They're not coming to PR to drive customers. They're trying to, they've, they've grown so fast that they're out ahead of their skis and it's time to take a moment and kind of go back and look at the brand they've got and, and kind of mature it to a point where it is now uh, it's now matching what the real customer experience is. And so that I think is one of the, it's one of the most exciting times for companies and they're usually too busy to handle it themselves and they know they need the help. Um, this is also extremely important to do long before you're trying to do your investor relations and, and, you know, your rounds of funding and all that. So um, that that's an area that we see far too often companies come to a PR firm and they think that the investor um, press release is going to be going to blow the socks off everybody you should have been reaching out to reporters and letting them know that you exist long before that. So um, we try to make sure you have room to scale. Well, you bring up an interesting point and that is investor relations because as a company is scaling, they go through different areas. They're, they're starting off, maybe they're doing their friends and family rounds, then they get maybe you know VC money and, and maybe later down the line, private equity money, et cetera. So you guys specialize in that investor relations communications. So what are things that companies need to do right when it comes to how they communicate on investor relations, both from those early stages through maybe an initial public offering or, or some sort of other big uh, uh, event? The, the main thing is to uh, make sure you have your communication strategy in place at least 30, 60 days in advance of that. And obviously, if it's an IPO, you should have a really strong foundation happening 22, 24 months with a really compelling PR firm helping you so that you, all the trade publications, all of the business publications know you exist analyst relations all of those foundations are in place because you can't you can't pull that off last minute we've done reverse ipos as well that is a lot more work in a much shorter period of time a lot of times companies underestimate the amount of work that needs to be done the amount of funding that needs to be in place to actually support all of the aspects so the number one thing is to make sure the messaging everything is really working your social media everything is up and and really strong before you start trying to force force feed all that um, because you could find yourself in trouble with SEC if you're trying to do things last minute that you didn't do for in advance. Um, and then even if it's just like a, a B round or a C round, understanding how you're going to launch that, the timing of launching that, putting that in, in place and understanding the messaging around it, who's going to be the spokesperson and, and, and what reporters really care about and what investors care about regarding that, uh, that money and the usage of it um, and the confidence they should have. The other side of it is making sure that the customer or your potential customer understands how you're going to be using that funding because they're also watching to see how stable you are, if they want to continue with you, 
And so you're signaling to the market in a number of ways. Um, we're really proud of that work. We love we love it, and we would like to be in early on so we can help influence it um, in very positive ways for the company. So another thing that companies need along the way, I mean, nobody wants to think about it, is crisis communications. And I know you guys do a very good job of helping companies who get into a situ- situation like that. What should you know, owners and CEOs and, and CFOs, and et cetera, be thinking about when there's not a crisis to prepare themselves for when there is a crisis when it comes to crisis communications? Well, I like to call it a pre-mortem versus a post-mortem. So most companies should be sitting down and they're planning, uh, say right now, a lot of companies are planning for 2023. They should be sitting down and, and outlining in what I call a bit of a war room with their their C-suite and product heads on what are the things that could go wrong and and how would we handle it if they went wrong? And this includes HR. What are the things that um, could be going wrong with our employees? Do we have a high turnover? Are we having trouble recruiting? What are all the things? And then how would we handle it if something went wrong? But also how are we creating the right infrastructure so that things can go right? And so this is how you start to plan not only a crisis uh, strategy so that or an issues you know bubbling up strategy. You also look at um, you know how do we make sure the the effort we're putting into marketing and communications and all of that is actually going to support us being successful. And I think that looking at the data from the past year and looking at where and how you've handled things in the past with any issues, making sure employees do have the opportunity to bubble things up. We're seeing far too many companies get in trouble where. Managers try to stifle um, an, an issue and it bubbles up on uh, Instagram somewhere. And usually these are not our primary clients. These are companies that don't have crisis plans and they're calling us uh, with their hair on fire and we're trying to help them in the midst of a crisis. Our clients tend to invest early on in the actual pre-mortem workshop that we'll do and it's well worth it. So that brings up an interesting question around this whole idea of a crisis. What are some mistakes that people make when they go into a crisis if they're not prepared? What are a couple of the of the red flags that you see so often? Well, if you don't have a strong plan in place, you have to have sort of a who comes together right away um, in a crisis. And you have to have an understanding that you might not have all the answers right away and your PR department and everybody needs to know how the channel is for which any incoming calls go to everything from customers that hear about the crisis to um, employees that hear about the issue to uh, reporters and a holding, a holding statement is essential so that you have the time to actually determine what the heck has gone on so that you can respond in a really fast way. So what is, what's what's a holding, what is a holding statement for somebody who's not familiar with that term? A holding statement would be, we're, we're aware of the concern and we are abs- we're looking into it. I will, we'll, we'll get back to you within the next couple of hours with how we're addressing it. But obviously it's top of mind for our, our CEO and the team. So I call the show Making Waves at Sea Level. So how can companies use their PR strategies to make some waves and shake things up and grow their business? I love that question, Tom, because the real reality is that most companies are kind of just, I call it just doing what they need to do. What I love is a fire in the belly, a company that comes to us and says, we want to do something different. We know we have to do all the PR 101 investor relations and all that, but what is something we could do that would make us really stand out? And so 
owning your own research, coming up with something that is incredibly compelling that the reporters do not have is something that is breakthrough. And we see this, we've done this with a number of companies where they have something and we've done our homework and maybe Home Depot, which is they had created it, but our client in the, in the uh, construction technology uh, space has, has it and is on MSNBC and is all over the place. And the competition is wondering how the heck did they do that? Um, so, and then it creates a whole platform, everything from content to podcasts to a lot of different avenues when you have your own research. So you can start to scratch at it and, and explore with other partners. I think that companies need to own thought leadership and the way to own thought leadership is not to talk about your own product or service every day, but to really dig into what are the issues within an industry and own that. And that's where you can really make some, make some waves. So I love this idea of the company doing their own research on something that's pertinent to their industry, not just, Hey, look at our company and all the things we're doing, but something that really matters to their potential customers, their customers and and society in general. And then also you said owning the thought leadership. So number one, isn't research really expensive? And number two, you can't call yourself a thought leader because people have to follow you. How do you position yourself then to be in that thought leadership position? I know that's two different questions, but first of all, how do you do the research? Secondly, how do you capture that thought leadership position? The research, it, it depends. Every company is different, but we've had companies where they have a data scientist and they're actually doing something that no one else has. And we're able to capture that data. So I used an example of uh, BuildFacts, which was acquired a couple of years ago. They're an Austin-based company, but they had incredible research on basically remodeling across the entire country. And we were able to take that data. We were able to confirm that they really were the only one that had that data and package that up into a press release that went out every month, uh, basically comparing year, year before year. And this is something reporters got so excited about. They started asking us for graphs and, um, you know, we, in fact, we got too many requests. Um, every state wanted it, but we knew what was most important to that company and to insurance companies that were using that data. So we started to focus on key, key cities and key states in particular, and it, it really took off. I love this piece of advice that your company might already have the research for some other work that you're actually doing. That's something I wanted to make sure everybody heard because people think, oh, we have to go do research. We don't have anyone on staff. You might already be doing the research just to run your business. Can you reposition that? So how does working with someone like like you and, and Redfan allow them to identify where those are? One of the first things we do in working with clients is that we interview the C-suite. And in particular, often we find talking to the CTO or the chief information officer that there's data to unlock that is pretty sexy. And the biggest challenge for most companies is just having the resources to actually pull that data in an effective way. And when you have put those those people in place, then you don't have to go externally to try to, to do that. Um, but there are companies also that we've used that are fairly affordable to do research, but it's coming up with that. And um, another good example would be we, we have a partnership with a company in the UK that's an AI company where we can scrape anything in natural language and start to determine what some trends are. So we could scrape like CMOs across Twitter and see what are the hot topics that B2B CMOs are talking about in the last six months. That's something no one else is doing. And I could pop, pop out some research on that. It's not quite as tantalizing as the research I talked about earlier, but it starts to position you as a thought leader. And if you do it often enough and in the right 
way with your target audience, it's quite compelling. So that's a perfect transition to the second half of that long question is once you have this going on, how do you really capture a thought leadership position? The first thing you're doing when you do your messaging workshop, you're, you're doing the messaging for the company, but then you're also identifying what the company wants to be known for. And then who are the spokespeople that are going to support that? And then what's the data or research you have to bring that forward? And so once you do that research, you might have a press release that goes out. You're going to uh, offer that um, to certain reporters in advance with data, the full, the full data set. So they can look at that and make sure it's validated for the, the publication they have. They all publications have different rules of what they will or won't use. And so as a PR firm, we're really uh, experienced in helping make sure that that's not a one-off situation, that we're making sure that the spokespeople are also getting in the press on an ongoing basis in addition with this research. But this is just another great way to differentiate. Nice. Well, you know, you do such great work and we're happy to work with you at the Austin Technology Council. You're, you're a great partner to work with. And that transitions me into this idea of Austin. You've worked with so many tech companies in Austin. What do you think is happening in Austin right now? Where, where are we now and, and what does the future really look like? Why, why is Austin still booming and, and do you think it still will? Austin is still extremely well positioned for booming. I mean, I don't see that as as something that's going to stop. If anything, I think the industries are shifting a little bit more. Um, We're starting to see more and more real estate tech. We're seeing uh, a lot of construction tech. We're seeing insurance tech. More and more fintechs actually popping up in our industry here. And I think that because we're close to, um, obviously, the government entities, there's some great opportunity there, as well as education tech. So, these are all industries that tend to flock here, but also health tech because of the hospitals and the infrastructure with UT. So there were companies that were originally formed in Houston that are now saying, you know what, we want to move to Austin and it's easier to hire there as well. It's, it's a great place to live. So while there's still room to um, improve Austin in terms of, you know, traffic and <laughs> the cost of living, we can't avoid those things. Um, I think the city has a great opportunity to, you know, keep growing. And with virtual work that allows people to do a lot more and live in different locations outside of Austin. So I feel that we, we will be able to continue to scale and be highly successful, especially with partnerships like Austin Technology Council. And, you know, there's just a great sense of entrepreneurship and that that's been part of the DNA of Austin forever. And I don't see that changing um, anytime soon. So as that ecosystem of Austin changes with new types of industries and you have the established companies that are big, you have big companies who are moving here and opening large facilities that we didn't really see happen as much before as it has been happening over the last five years. And then you've also got just the, the constant introduction of startups, many of them getting that traction and growing. What does Austin need to do for that community piece? What do we need to do to make sure that we still are a tech community? I think that Austin as a, as a city um, has the opportunity to position much um, beyond the music capital of the world. While I love music and I take it in all the time, I think we're much more of an innovation city. And to be an innovation city, you need to put the right infrastructure in place, everything from uh, VC councils um, for helping people understand what that, what, what that takes, uh, putting, bringing, flying in people from other parts of other coasts, because this is, it, we shouldn't be in a bubble. Um, making sure that the infrastructure is in place for uh, real estate for these uh, startups and for the acquisitions. And I think also 
just making making it possible for more conversations to happen. And I, I look forward to seeing more and more of that as the city's opening up and events are happening like your CEO summit coming up soon. That's going to be another great opportunity. It's rare that we've seen those happening in a while. Lots of award ceremonies, but I want to d- uh, dive in and have some really in-depth conversations and the opportunity for other CEOs to connect with other CEOs is much needed. And I think we're going to, we're going to enjoy that. So we do have coming up in October, the Austin Technology Council's CEO Summit, which is open to C-level executives in established companies and new companies across the board from the whole ecosystem of, of Austin. And Red Fan Communications is one of the main sponsors of this upcoming event. Why does Red Fan support an event like this and the Austin Technology Council? Why are you such a great partner for what we're trying to do at ATC? The Austin Technology Council has been around for so long. I think you said over almost 30 years, if not more. And it's it's something that has evolved um, with the needs of the city and it continues to evolve. And so when you're able to bring people together around topics all year round to help people grow in their industry and make the right connections, that's a value add that is unique to Austin and something that needs to continue. Uh, the CEO Summit itself is just one of those things. CEOs don't have a lot of time. Um, it's not, you know, something they don't run around and go to tons of conferences all the time. They're often sending other people to conferences. The CEO Summit is unique, and we love that because understanding what's what's going on with CEOs and what what's mattering to them is is essential. And uh, often they don't know what matters to them until they get to that conference, right? So they start to realize, huh, I get a minute to like think for myself versus focusing on the company. I get to think about what's going on with other companies and other CEOs. Being a CEO is a lonely place for many, um, trying to be the best all the time and having other CEOs to connect with, I think is essential. And we're just proud to be part of that. No, and we're looking forward to that event. And, you know, my, my personal motto is, you know, that we all win when there's more community, collaboration, and conversation. And that's what we want to try to do with the Austin Technology Council CEO Summit is really have the community come together, have people be able to collaborate within the day and beyond, and then, you know, always working to build that community through extended conversations. So uh, that's what what we're hoping to do. And and we thank you and RedFan for being so involved and helping to uh, make this event happen. It's a pleasure. Pleasure to be part of it. So Kathleen, any last words for people who are listening, who kind of got the, the, you know, the thing of, ooh, I need to be thinking more about my communications, my messaging internal and and, and external. Anything anything you want to add? You know, what I would add is that it's, it's, this is the time of year for planning and don't, uh, don't, don't just rush it. Take the time, look at the data, sit down with your external partners, whether you've got a branding company, your PR firm, bring people together versus uh, putting them in silos. Let, let the brainstorming happen. You might be surprised to see some really colorful and fun ways to advance your brand and um, really great partners love being part of those types of conversations. So, let it, let it happen. Nice. Well, again, Kathleen Lucente, thank you for being here on Making Waves at Sea Level. Again, thank you for your partnership with the Austin Technology Council. And thank you to everybody who tuned in and listened to this podcast. Please do me a favor. Go subscribe on Apple, on Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast joy. And go out there and make waves in your business, whatever it is that you do. And have some fun along the way. And whatever it is that you're doing, remember this. Go out and find a way to positively impact the people who you encounter today and every day. Thank you for listening to the Making Waves at Sea Level podcast. 
Without your listening to these in-depth conversations, there would be no show. Connect with Tom at TomSinger.com and follow him on Twitter and Instagram at TomSinger. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.